You're listening to Accounting Matters, an accounting podcast powered by Embark about accounting matters, because accounting matters. On today's episode, we're back discussing profit interest with Adam and Nicole. As you'll hear, we're going to dive deeper into ASC 710 and 718 and some of the complexities around accounting for these different types of compensation interest. I hope you enjoyed these complexities of the conversation as much as I did. From Embark's headquarters in Dallas, Texas, this is Accounting Matters, an accounting podcast powered by Embark. Hi, hello, good afternoon. It's great to be with each of you. I'm Zach Smith, Embark's Tampa Market President, and I'm joined with my co-host, Adam Olson, Embark's Accounting Advisory Practice Leader. On this week's episode, we're going to continue our previous discussion on profit interest with the one and only Nicole Harger, a Senior Director in Embark's National Quality Group. Both of you, thanks for joining. Glad to be back. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm so glad you guys could make it back. How's your summer going? Good. It's hot. It is hot. It's very hot in Dallas. Hot in Dallas, indeed. Should not be a surprise, I guess, but, you know. Could it be is, nicer. It, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, hopefully we're, we're wrapping up soon with it. But last time we connected, we discussed what profit interests were, why they mm-hmm. are often used as a form of compensation, and how the accounting guidance applies to each of these awards, even though it's not necessarily always clear. I encourage our listeners, if you haven't tuned in to that episode, take a listen today. We're picking up on part two of this topic and getting into some of the accounting and reporting differences that exist. Can you guys recap what guidance profit interest awards could fall under? Yeah, obviously a big cliffhanger from last week. But for those of you that maybe didn't have a chance to or forgot um, to listen or forgot what we said, just to recap real quickly. So, you know, a big part of the conversation we had in, in our first part was around having to evaluate really kind of the substance of these awards. So looking at the different terms, conditions, features, you know, the the merits of the awards themselves, because there is a lot of judgment that has to be applied. So there's a bunch of indicators that have been developed in practice that are used commonly to help decide whether or not an award should be accounted for under ASC 718, kind of in the stock compensation guidance, or in other compensation guidance in ASC 710. Um, I will say we've also done previous podcasts on accounting for um, stock-based compensation awards. So if you end up with an award that does fall under 718, you know we'll, we'll touch lightly on some of the differences today between 718 and 710. You know which is why it's so important that you know you understand which which bucket you fall into because you'll you'll see why there's so many differences in the accounting, but. To get more insight on accounting for awards under 718, you'll take a listen to some of those previous podcasts because we go into much more detail than we'll do today. Yeah, okay, great. So, but let's talk a little bit about each of those. Sure. Uh, I think it might be helpful to do a little bit of compare and contrast between the two to help illustrate uh, the accounting varieties and why the initial evaluation is important to not shortcut. Can you share a little bit of share a little bit about that so we can you know just kind of talk through the different you know concepts that you would go through in any accounting guidance so you know let's take classification first like you know how would these awards be classified um, on your balance sheet you know if you had a 718 award versus a 710 so we'll start with the easy one so 710 awards it's pretty straightforward they're always going to be recorded as a liability on your balance sheet Um, If you determine your award falls under the 718 guidance, 
um, your award can be classified as either equity or a liability. So to determine that, you would look to the classification guidance that does exist within ASC 718 to figure out, hey, do I have any characteristics in my award that would require it to be classified as a liability? Um, if not, then the award would be classified as equity. So not to rehash some of that because there is some complexity in, in that assessment. So again, just kind of plug our, our stock <laughs> podcast for the second time in two minutes. Um, but just some common conditions that will throw an award as being a liability classified award under 718 would be, you know, if the award's indexed to something other than the common vesting condition, so a market performance or service condition, if the award meets any any of the criteria under ASC 480, um, any of that guidance, um, lots of times awards that have repurchase features that you know allow the holder to avoid kind of the risks and rewards of a typical equity ownership, those could fall under liability guidance. So just to name a few of them, you know, throw those out there. But like I said, um, definitely look at that guidance. It's pretty explicit in 718. So at least there's a, a little less judgment to apply there, but still some. Yeah, and I know that we discussed classification in much more detail in the 718 podcast. So again, check that out if you want to hear more about awards that may have terms or conditions that could require liability classifications. <coughs> but so after classification is squared away, I think a lot of preparers would be asking how you measure the award on the balance sheet. How does that work between the two sets of guidance? Are there any differences? Are there any similarities? What do we need to be thinking about? Yeah, so for measurement of the award, so if you got a 718 award, you're going to measure the award at its what's called its grant date fair value. So that's going to be the same for whether it's an equity classified or a liability classified award under 718. Um, for equity classified awards, you know, I will say that once you determine that grant date fair value, you don't remeasure um, those awards unless there's a modification, you know, subsequently or um, down the road. Um, for liability classified awards under 718, though, each reporting period you would subsequently remeasure that. So you're essentially establishing a new, what would be considered a settlement date, fair value, until you actually settle that award. Um, 710 awards are a little bit different. So they're measured like perform performance bonuses, which are basically measured kind of at the present value of kind of the future payments that will be made under that award. So. Similar to what we had for liability classified awards under 718, under 710, you would also remeasure those awards um, every reporting period until it's settled, but it's a little bit different. Um, you've got grant date fair value under 718 and the present value of kind of future award payments under 710. So then, Adam, is it fair to assume that the profit interest awards have no value at the grant date in certain cases for the awards that are accounted for under the 718 guidance? And then part two, let's just say that given these distribution thresholds or hurdles, nothing would currently be paid out for the award if we walked through the waterfall. Yeah, no, that's a good question. We get that. We get clients that always argue this point a lot of times. They're like, well... Yes, we've granted these awards, um, but, you know, and we'll say, well, how are we going to measure or value the awards? And like, well, there's no value because, you know, they've got this threshold or this hurdle. And when we granted the award, like that wasn't going to be met. Like if we 
if we liquidated our company immediately today on the grant date, they would get nothing. And, you know, we talked about during our part one, you know, another argument they often make is like, well, from a tax basis perspective, the awards have zero value. So we think there should be zero value assigned to these awards at the grant date. Um, Unfortunately, that's not the correct way to think about it. And I say that because, you know, making the argument that profit interest have no value really kind of negates the fair value measurement guidance and gap. And also to assume like, hey, if we liquidated our company today, profit interest holders would get nothing also contradicts the concept that your entity is a going concern and you report your financials on a going concern basis. So you can't really say, you know, based on liquidation, this is what the award's worth today. Um, that doesn't carry as much merit either. So so you definitely have to think through like what value should be assigned, particularly for those 718 type awards. Okay. So then how often are these awards valued? Yeah. So not going into a ton of detail here, like obviously this is you know, where you would want to engage um, a valuation specialist to assist. But typically what happens... Is this valuation work that Embark does? <laughs> we do do valuation work, and we do a lot of valuations of profit interest, for sure. And our valuation um, specialist here at Embark as well will tell you that they also get the, well, we think there's no value assigned to these awards, and they probably more eloquently explain why that is not true. Generally, what a valuation specialist will do um, a lot of times with these awards is because these profit interests, you know, they have these different waterfalls and they're all going to vary depending on the equity structure of the the entity that grants the awards. Um, You know, they might consider a bunch of different, you know, reasonable cash flow outcomes that could exist and, you know, looking at those holistically or averaging them or coming coming up with some type of statistical um, answer with some complex valuation approach, you know, they'll, they'll figure out what is a, a reasonable barometer for the value of the awards themselves. So, so like I said, it, it's not usually something that, you know, a lot of these awards can be a little complex with the, the terms and conditions and stuff like that. So it, it does require usually bringing in an evaluation specialist, but that's also probably the reason why a lot of clients want to just kind of jump to a zero dollar answer because of course, one less step that they have to do. <laughs> it's quicker. It's easier. They don't have to record anything. But yeah. um, a lot of times that you 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 should get pushback from your auditors typically um, for a seven eighteen type award. Okay. Okay. Well, so Nicole, I'm going to turn to you on this one. So we know the amount that we measure the award at, uh, but how does an entity determine when to recognize the reward in the financial statements? Yep. Um, recognition can be a little trickier. So we're going to look at each um, model a little bit closer. So under ASC 718, the award is recognized as compensation expense over the employee's service period using either a straight line method or um, for certain awards that have multiple tranches um, under a graded vesting method. So a graded vesting method just basically front loads the recognition of compensation expense compared to the straight line method um, as each separately vested tranche is recognized um, as though each one is a separate award. Um, And then under ASC 710, compensation expense and a liability isn't recorded until payment is probable and reasonably estimable. So sometimes we get future about or questions about what it means for a payment to be probable, and the accounting guidance defines that as 
um, that future events are likely to occur. So keep in mind in the accounting world, uh, there's no bright line to apply here, but generally in practice, a lot of preparers um, consider probable as having a 70% chance or greater likelihood of an event occurring. So as it relates to the second criteria, most profit interest awards are reasonably estimable at the grant date. Okay, so that makes sense. And I know a lot of profit interest awards have performance conditions, whether it's an EBITDA target to achieve or an exit event. 718 is pretty clear on these conditions and how they're accounted for, but for an award that we determine should be accounted for under 710, that has a performance condition, what specifically happens here in this situation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and you're right, performance um, conditions are included in a lot of profit interest awards that we see. Um, in these cases, compensation expense should be recognized, again, when it is prob probable that the performance condition will be satisfied like we talked about previously. Um, the challenge comes in when at the grant date, it's not probable that the performance condition will be met. So at the grant date, no compensation expense is recorded, but then you know, subsequently that changes. Um, how does one account for that change in the assessment of performance conditions? Um, so in practice, there are two common approaches used. You can either do that, a catch-up approach or a prospective approach. Okay, and so then can you give us an example of a scenario where we would have a performance condition that is subsequently probable of being met and illustrate how those two approaches would be used? I think that's gonna be, it sounds like more typical in how that is played out. Yeah, so let's say a profits interest award has a performance condition where the underlying shares vest when cumulative income over, let's say like a five year period reaches a certain dollar amount. If on the grant date, um, the entity concludes that it's not probable that the performance condition will be met, no liability is recorded and no expenses incurred for the performance condition. However, let's say like at the next reporting period or subsequent reporting periods down the road, um, the company does conclude that it is probable that the performance condition will be met. Um, they have two options that we just mentioned. So under the first option, the reporting entity can increase the accrual to reflect the amount that cumulatively would have been accrued by the end of the reporting period had the performance condition been assessed as probable. So like from the date of inception of service, um, then the remaining balance thereafter is recorded, is accrued as future services are performed. Um, the second approach would be for the entity to account for the increased compensation prospectively. So they would just accrue the total amount um, of estimated compensation assessed as probable over the remaining service period. So either method again, is acceptable and should be viewed as an accounting policy election and then disclosed in your financial statements. Okay, so that's helpful and that makes sense, but what happens in the reverse scenario? So let's say a performance condition was probable initially, but later down the road, it looks like it's no longer, no longer probable of being met. What happens here? What okay. do we need to think about? Yeah, so going back to that previous example, um, if it's determined that the five-year cumulative income condition is no longer probable, any previously recognized expense would be reversed in the period in which and change in probability occurred. Okay, 
And so then in our first episode on profit interest, we talked about the ability of the award holder to receive distributions. If a distrib distribution is made, how does that impact the total compensation cost that you recognize for this award? So generally it doesn't. Okay. Um, distributions to ASC 718 award holders are treated as dividends and they do not result in any additional compensation costs unless a modification or reclassification or settlement has occurred. Distributions to award holders that are accounted for under 710 are um, not dividends. It's just treated as additional compensation costs. Okay, and so now that we've covered the recognition side, Adam, measurement yep. and classification of profit interest awards under both 710 and 718, is there anything that our listeners need to be aware of from the reporting and presentation perspective? Yeah, there's, you know, one thing we, we see come up a lot is when, um, like, a parent company of a subsidiary will, you know, issue um, equity awards to an employee of that subsidiary. And there's often a question about where does the compensation expense get recorded because it's a parent's equity instrument that's issued to an employee of a subsidiary. And so just to be clear on how you should think through something like that is, you know, the substance of that transaction is basically that the parent is making a capital contribution of those awards or those interests to the subsidiary. And then the subsidiary is granting that to the employee. So the compensation expense um, should be recorded at the subsidiary's level, especially if they're issuing their own standalone financial statements, because it's in exchange for services for those employees at that subsidiary level. And that would be the same whether you're accounting for it under 718 or 710. Okay. Well, I, that's really helpful. And before we wrap up, given the subjectivity around how to account for each of these awards, I can imagine that there can be some diversity in practice. So is that a concern to the FASB? What are they doing about that? And you know, how do our clients and folks need to be thinking about it? Yeah, that's a great question. I know we kind of teased this out a little bit um, in part one of this conversation, but you know, it is something that is currently being looked at. And so, you know, we mentioned that a lot of profit interest awards are issued by non-public companies, so non-public partnerships and non-public LLCs. Um, so the Private Company Council, or PCC, which is essentially like a subset group of the FASB that really focuses on accounting and reporting issues and matters that are, are relevant to private companies, um, they actually took up a project back in 2020 on this matter. So really looking at profit interests and the accounting for profit interests. And that was after they put out a request for consultation on their agenda, like what would people like to have them focus on and look into. And so profit interest was raised as an as an item and they've been looking at it, you know, like I said, for the, the last couple of years. Okay. And so what's the latest update on the project and where does this stand? Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's definitely been moving along. Um, they did a lot of research, a lot of outreach, um, really looking at to what are some of the nuances. Um, you know, had some respondents um, provide some 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 conceptual ideas for how they could think about alternatives to the accounting. So, the most recent update was back in um, April of twenty two um, is when they last met and discussed this. So, in that meeting. Um, the PCC actually proposed that they would add a project to their technical agenda that would essentially address 
um, how profit interest awards should be accounted for and whether they should only be accounted for under ASC 718. So obviously, you know, as they kind of move forward with that potential project and, you know, potentially issuing something specific for private companies, you know, it would essentially eliminate a lot of the complexity that we've talked about, you know, in part one and part two about having to decide 718, 710, looking at all these indicators, it would almost just create like, hey, these awards are never in the scope of 710. They're always going to be viewed as stock compensation. So you should follow that guidance. So the PCC also recommended to the FASB that they should add a project to their own technical agenda that would also address um, kind of the appropriate scope of the guidance for profit interest awards as well. Um, and similar to what we've discussed, they know that there's also a lot of diversity in practice. And again, the complexity and kind of having to navigate the guidance there with the lack of actual authoritative guidance that exists. Um, and also just highlighting to the FASB that it, it may be prudent for them to do so because, you know, this issue can affect not only private companies, but also public business entities. So, you know, we'll kind of have to see whether the, the FASB takes it up on a larger scale and whether they do anything with it. Um, but at least for the time being, it is a project that the, the PCC is adding to their, their, their agenda and they'll start, you know, kind of moving through the process of potentially drafting some, uh, some guidance on it. Well, great. Well, I know we're all sitting on the edge of our seats waiting to hear what they have to say. Maybe you guys will be out of a job soon and no longer needed to review these things. Uh, But with all uh, sincerity, thank you so much for both of you spending uh, the afternoon with us talking through some of the complexities and the accounting nuances uh, for profit interest. I know that this has been helpful not only to myself, hopefully to our listeners and to our viewers. Um, So until next time, I appreciate it. You bet. (laughs) This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.